0: Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Today our hosts talk with Canadian power couple Sandy and Linda Finlayson. The Finlayson's are both authors and share their time on the podcast talking about their various interests, including Scottish reformer Thomas Chalmers and writing for children. Stay tuned after to find out how to get a free copy of Sandy or Linda's newest books.
1: Well, we're broadcasting on location again today. The location's actually secret because the people involved uh, do not want their uh, location revealed to the general public. But all I would say is we're standing outside a major Trekkie convention. Uh, the annual gathering of the those who are you know, big fans of of William Shatner, the, the great Canadian cultural icon. Mm. And we're privileged today to be interviewing two other Canadian cultural icons. Uh, this is a man who's been known to Reformation 21 readers over the years simply as the shadowy figure, known only as the librarian. Well, today we're going to out him on air. His identity is actually Sandy Finlayson. He's the professor of theological bibliography and the librarian at Westminster Theological Seminary. And he's married to the present Mrs. Finlayson, uh, who is a children's author. Sandy himself has written uh, a couple of books on 19th century Scottish divines. Uh, Linda is well known for writing books that provide uh, short biographical essays on uh, famous... Christians throughout the whole of church history are aimed particularly for children to educate them in the history of the faith in the post-apostolic era. So it's great to have the Finlayson's uh, on board today. I want to start off by asking Sandy, Sandy, you're a, you're a Canadian and a librarian. Most people would regard one of those things as almost too much to bear, but, but you're both. How How is it that you manage to maintain a relatively cheery disposition despite the obvious disadvantages that, that, that you've been born with?
2: Well, life sometimes does throw on difficult curves. That's certainly the case. <laughs> um, I would say, however, that uh, being a Canadian is not all that bad. Um, there are uh, many things in Canada that one can be proud of. I know that uh, you folks here around this table are fans of popular culture and music and yes. so Canada has produced people like Oscar Peterson Justin who, Bieber who, uh, <laughs> Bruce Coburn, Neil Young uh, Glenn Gould, one of the greatest Bach exp- uh, exponents in the 20th century uh, so I mean there are some things that Canada could have uh, done better and not inflicted on the world but <laughs> this is true of many countries I mean Canada doesn't have on its conscience the uh, Sex Pistols or that the, is true. Or the Spice true. Girls <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, or or
1: bo- yeah. or boy george so, so he emigrated to the united states
2: so i i just i think it's important that we keep in perspective that uh, perhaps uh, canada hasn't done as much damage as maybe even some other countries
3: there's a there, you know that's not a bad point and and honestly any country that has given us william shatner i'm a fan of that country so
2: well Hockey is actually a greater export than William Shot. <laughs> Hockey is a real sport other than, you know, the this baseball thing that Ameri- oh, stop that, it. Am- that Americans have stop going on. Stop it. And- uh, well, well, I mean, I'm just saying that, that, that <laughs> hockey is an actual real sport. Well, and, I think and, and, and you know, I think puts and, on... And, and baseball, where they're having this World Series <laughs> featuring two teams from the United States. That's just exhibiting a little bit of hubris, I would have Well,
3: thought. I would say this. I think that hockey perfectly embodies the violence of the Canadian people. <laughs> and um, I, which has which has bothered us Americans for a long time. Us being to your southern border, we look at the kinds of things that go on in Canada,
2: even in your sports, and we we're, we're deeply concerned about well, your violence. Well, that's that's most unfortunate that we've terrified you. I had no idea that you appeared <laughs> <out> <laughs> so terrified. Well, I mean, sh- I I didn't really realize that Americans were quivering in fear. Absolutely.
3: People, yeah. I mean, Shania Twain has helped. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'm so but glad that that's, that, the image. That,
2: that that's been good. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, that, that softened the image a little. Absolutely, much. I have to good. say, yeah, Steppenwolf got to give the credit. Oh, Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. okay, would, would you're not me. giving us credit for Oscar Peterson.
1: Steppenwolf, Rush,
2: and Oscar Peterson. I will uh, okay. well, grant <laughs> I three. will okay. give
3: you credit for Rush. Yeah. I okay. absolutely right. will for that. It doesn't make up for your violent nature, but. Uh, <laughs> But I appreciate it nonetheless.
1: the William Shatner theodicy question perplexes theologians Mm. to this day. But uh,
2: we'll we'll leave it there. (laughs) I I think that's above my pay grade to answer. (laughs) I'm just a librarian. There are some things (laughs) that I don't have to answer. All
4: right. Well, you're actually here because you wrote a book. And um, in reading the introduction... I'll let you introduce the title, but, you know, sometimes you can really learn a lot about a person from the introduction and acknowledgements, and I learned that you wrote a whole book because you disagreed with a tour guide.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's correct. Um, Linda and I um, visited Scotland a number of years ago, and the first thing that we did when we arrived in Edinburgh was to take one of the historic uh, bus tours that they have in the heart of the city. And... um, We went through a number of the historical places, and uh, we passed St. Giles Cathedral and uh, Knox, John Knox's house, which is across the street from St. Giles Cathedral. And um, the tour guide opined that uh, John Knox was responsible for uh, the subjugation of women throughout Mm -hmm. the ages in Scotland. And I thought this was a curious thing to... um, highlight in his career, mm-hmm. um, as well as religious intolerance. Uh, he was also accused of that. So I just sort of sat there. I was partly jet-lagged, so I didn't respond quick as quickly as I might have. Um, but the, 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 um, the, the, the bus tour continued, and um, a few minutes later we passed a uh, statue of Thomas Chalmers, who was one of the Leaders in the evangelical movement in the Church of Scotland in the 19th century, and subsequently was the first moderator of the Free Church of Scotland. Um, I'd grown up in the Free Church, and so I knew a little bit about Chalmers. So, being slightly mischievous, I uh, said to her, "Well, who, who's 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 on that? Who's the who's depicted in that statue?" And she thought for a minute, and she said, "Well." Some dead white guy. (laughs) And I thought, it really is stunning that in 150 years, the knowledge of someone who was really central to... um, church history and Scottish identity had been completely lost. Mm -hmm. She had no idea who he was. Some dead white guy. Uh, Some dead white guy. So I decided if I ever had the opportunity that I'd try and write a uh, biography of Chalmers that would help to explain him to 21st century readers and talk a little bit about um, who he was, what he had done, and why he still matters. And obviously, you've
3: written a book on this, so you could
2: talk for quite a while, but briefly, Why does he matter? I think he matters because he shows that you can be a church leader, have a real impact on your church, have a real impact on your society. Um, The church can be relevant. Uh, The church um, can have a a major impact on the society simply through the preaching of the gospel. Um, He was someone who saw that the first, the primary job of the church was to preach the gospel. Out of that, he believed that the church could make a difference in the lives of individual people. Uh, he really wanted the church to reach into communities and help people with education, um, with their um, with their physical needs. He was um, very responsible for the revitalization of both the biblical office of elder and deacon in 19th century Scottish Presbyterianism. And he mobilized um, elders and deacons in his congregations to um, really reach out to the lives, get involved in people's lives and help them. He was also passionately committed to education. Um, A lot of people in the 21st century Um, talk a lot about uh, Christian education. And he believed that education was something that the church should be actively involved in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Established schools that not only taught the Bible and theology, but also taught Mm -hmm. literature, mathematics. Um, The fact that poor children in, um, in major cities in Scotland received an education was in part... Through the revitalization that took place in the in the second half of the nineteenth century under Chalmers', Chalmers leadership, mm-hmm. in both the Church of Scotland and in uh, later in the Free Church.
3: So Carl, Carl would hate this guy because he didn't mind his own business, right?
1: <laughs> Somewhat, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one thing that Sandy didn't mention uh, that I think you mentioned uh, in your book is, of course, that Chalmers is the. Is so significant in his own day that I think he's the only Presbyterian to be criticised by Karl Marx in Das Kapital. That is correct. Uh, he was a significant social thinker, not just mm-hmm. a, a theologian and churchman. Yeah. Um, I guess my pushback, Sandy, would be the you know the establishment principle lies at the heart of what Chalmers does, and I just don't see it in the New Testament. How would you respond to that? I yeah I I agree with the the phrase we we can change things by preaching the gospel, but it seems to me that Chalmers wants more than that. Chalmers was a more politically proactive person than I would be comfortable with in, in, in the church today. How would you respond to that?
2: Well, Chalmers' understanding of the establishment principle is that he, he believes that there ought to be a relationship between the church and the state. He does not think that the state should be neutral with respect to religion. He thinks that the state has a duty to support the Christian faith through providing finances for churches, for pastoral stipends, for, uh, for Christian education. Um, he argues that because Christ is both king of the nations and king of the church that the radical separation that we now see between the church and the state is actually not found in scripture Um, to be sure the largest evidence for that is found in the old testament where there is a theocracy and i think it's important to make a distinction between theocracy and the establishment principle because theocracy essentially says that we will only tolerate one religion. That's not what the establishment principle is saying. The establishment principle says we should maintain Christianity. We should support the church. It doesn't say that the uh, state should be actively persecuting or um, disenfranchising people that we don't agree with. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that Chalmers got into trouble for in his time was he actually supported... Um, Catholic emancipation in the 19th century, um, where the British government decided to extend the franchise uh, to Roman Catholics and also to remove the barriers that they had previously experienced in being able to serve in government. Uh, He did not think that that was appropriate. He thought that the gospel should Allowed to stand on the church should be allowed to stand on its own terms, preach the gospel, and not be afraid of people that it disagreed with. Um, So, I think that in some respects, um, what Chalmers is arguing for is simply the fact that the state should not be neutral uh, toward all religions. He would point to the larger catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith that talks about the fact that. we're required by the second commandment not to tolerate false religion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's something that has certainly gotten lost in the 20th and the 21st centuries. And I think we're seeing the results of that now where every religion is seen as being equally valuable.
3: Right. Yeah, the egalitarianism of all ideas.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. I like how... um... You set up the book as your argument against the statement that he was some dead white guy, but then you close it with um, his legacy, um, the deep, deep, genuine grief at his death. And uh, just how that revealed, uh, you say, someone important had died. Yeah. And so uh, could you compare that day in history then to the day that, you know, you're sitting on this tour bus <laughs> and uh, you're, you know, looking at the statue of the man and, and hearing those words from your tour guide?
2: Yeah, it, 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 really, it really is quite stunning. that I mean, Chalmers died very suddenly. Um, he was only 67 when he died. Um, he essentially worked himself to death. Um, he had been pastor of large churches. He had served um, at the University of St. Andrews. He'd served at the University of Edinburgh. He'd served at the Free Church uh, the, at New College uh, after the establishment of the Free Church. Um, he had been someone who had, had been in the forefront Uh, of Scottish life um, for probably the 35, 40 years before his death. Uh, From the moment he left his first parish in Kilmany to move to Glasgow, um, he began to be seen as a leading figure uh, in the evangelical church, in in the evangelical part of the Church of Scotland. and he'd had an impact on everyone in Scotland simply because he had been the person who had been largely responsible for um, organizing uh, the evangelical wing in the Church of Scotland. He raised huge amounts of money um, for the creation of schools. Um, he had led um, a church extension movement that had seen uh, new churches created all over Scotland. And. Um, if there had been CNN back then, he would have been one of their go-to people uh, to talk to on matters of, of faith and life. Um,
4: that would have been a good thing for the tour guide to say. It would have. It yeah. would have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. yeah. I mean, another, another perhaps less tangible um, impact of his life is that he motivated huge numbers of people. Uh, to go into the ministry and to serve on the mission field. Um, His greatest legacy as a professor at St. Andrews, I would say, is that uh, he revitalized their missionary society. And at the time when there was the split in 1843 between the the Church of Scotland that created the Free Church, um, every single missionary of the Church of Scotland left the Church to join the Free Church. Mm -hmm. And... I think Chalmers played no small part in that Mm -hmm. because he was passionately committed to the proclamation of the gospel, not only in Scotland, but around the world. In his very first parish, he um, went around preaching about the need for missionary and Bible societies. And he wanted people in his parish to support those, even if they could only do so on a very, very small scale because he thought every Christian should be involved in missionary work even if it only came down to them being able to put a small amount of money um, toward toward the work of those societies
1: this just in Derek Thomas friend of mortification of spin reads from the classics this week the trees ...by that great Canadian cultural icon, the band Rush. There is unrest in the forest. There is trouble with the trees... For the maples want more sunlight, and the oaks ignore their pleas. The trouble with the maples, and they're quite convinced they're right. They say the oaks are just too lofty, and they grab up all the light. But the oaks can't help their feelings if they like the way they're made, and they wonder why the maples can't be
3: happy in their shade.
1: now we return to your regular scheduled program <laughs>
3: well along the lines of of the church impacting society and, and the world around it we as Carl mentioned earlier we um, we're privileged to have, in addition to Sandy Finlayson, uh, the estimable Linda Finlayson, and uh, the the connection as far as uh, the church and society i I suppose my question, Linda, would be, are you still in favor of Christians um, violently converting the masses to christianity and and why do you seem to be in favor of that? Um, we were a little stunned to read a review. In fact, Carl, I'd like you to to, to make reference to this review of Linda's newest book. It was found on uh, Amazon. And uh, Carl, help us understand uh, this person's perspective here.
1: I, I it's it's very disturbing the review. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it's disturbing from the very from the word go because the person starts their review of the book with the 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 phrase that always shakes my confidence in a book review. I haven't read the book. It's only the title and cover I hate. But it goes on to make a fair point. I mean, I know Linda. I know that she tries to terrify people uh, into converting to Christianity, it, it, it culminates with this. Uh, you can't force people to believe. You can't threaten them into submission to your God. If you spread your religion through violence, you might terrorize people into pretending they believe, but surely you'll drive their hearts away. I mean, Linda, you've been publicly called out here as somebody trying to convert people under pain of death. How yeah. would you respond to that? And are you still drowning Anabaptists? <laughs> Go. Go. <laughs>
5: Well, it's patent nonsense, is what it is.
4: <laughs> Maybe Linda's the true shadowy doctor. Exactly,
3: exactly.
1: All I would say is when Linda's taught Sunday school, more children go into that room than come out. That's all, <laughs> that's all I'll say.
3: Okay, enough uh, fun at Linda's expense. Linda actually does write very helpful um, uh, biographical and historical sketches from church history. She writes them primarily for children. Um, I have read several of them. They're quite helpful and fun. And informative and in all the things that you want a, a book for children to be. Um, Linda, y- you have the capability to write a lot of different things. Why do you write for children?
5: Um, I've always worked with children uh, from the time I was teaching Sunday school at the age of 18. Um, I worked with them in churches, schools, uh, run kids clubs. I just like children mm-hmm. and I like being able to communicate with them. Um I think people often underestimate what a child can learn and understand Mm -hmm. and I know as a child myself I really objected to people talking down to me. I wanted to be treated like anybody else Mm -hmm. and preferably as an adult please. (laughs) So I do try in my writing to make sure that I'm not talking down to children that I I use vocabulary and I try to use words that um, may not necessarily be familiar if I'm writing about a medieval person, I'm going to use um, the names of things that we don't have today. Right. But that's okay, because they can look it up, mm-hmm. either in the back Maybe, of the book, which has a glossary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or you can just use context. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, I just think that children have a wonderful capacity to learn, and I enjoy mm-hmm. writing for them.
3: Your, your latest book, Wielding the Sword, focuses on the role of the Word, it, its preaching and its teaching. Um, what, what do you want your young readers to come away with?
5: How important God, God's Word is, mm-hmm. and the importance uh, of continuing to preach and teach the truth, um, and maybe as a child, maybe just to learn and know what that truth is, mm-hmm. and to understand what their preachers and teachers, the, the role that they have in their lives, and what they've had in the past. And that what's happening in, for them in their church right now has been happening since the beginning, it's right. it's there's a continuous uh, uh, building up of the church, and it's not something that's new. It's right.
1: a yeah. Good. One of the interesting things, Linda, and you you alluded to it there. You you mentioned medieval medieval figures okay. uh, in your latest book, Wielding the Sword. You address Antony of Padua, um, even Gregory the Great. He's an earlier figure, but we'd, we'd sort of class him as medieval uh, in some ways. Uh, a lot of Protestant evangelical people, they might see the value of looking at Augustine, who you deal with, or even John Chrysostom. But then from the you know the the year of sort of five hundred through to about fifteen seventeen, when Luther burst mm-hmm. onto the scene, most Protestants would shrug their shoulders and say, Yeah, not a lot goes on there, there's not much point in knowing about it. But you've self consciously not done that. You've chosen medieval figures, and some of them, in the case of sort of Antony of Padua, medieval figures who perhaps would be very far away from those that Protestants would would think of
5: as being allies. Why do you do that? I think it's important that we realize that the church did not stop with the early church and begin again with the Reformation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) God has his people in every generation and in every place. They might not look exactly as they do as a 21st century Christian, uh, but sometimes that's an arrogant kind of view because it assumes that we've got it all right and they don't. That's a good point.
4: One thing I really um, enjoy about your books is um, talking to a lot of different women who just don't like to read. And um, one thing I have noticed, though, in trying to, to get them to read more is that they enjoy biographies. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's wonderful that you write these short biographies, you know, just short chapters in your book, um, starting, you know, aiming at children. Um, what a great way to to um, motivate adult readers then as well. I mean, parents reading it to their children at night, that's what I do. I've been reading them to my son, and he's been enjoying them. So uh, parents who have not read any church history are going to also learn from reading your books and um but then you're also developing these young readers that um will have much broader appreciation maybe just for theology and church history as well so I really I like how you have uh put together the genre that you have and then um for me when I'm reading these stories sure I've I've learned about Augustine and 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 people not certainly not everyone that you've written about, but um, I'm getting a more personal side to the story and and starting to think of some ways that I hadn't before. Like I'm just with in reading about Augustine, sure, all the other times I've read about his concubine and sure he needed to to ditch that woman but in your and your uh, telling of the story you really reveal the, the personal pain you know when you give your love to someone that you shouldn't
0: mm-hmm.
4: and you know it really made me stop and think about the personal elements and the consequences of sin um at a deeper level so i really appreciate the um the personal touch that you put into the stories and i think it
5: doesn't just relate well with children but with adults too
3: and biography is a great foil for teaching so many of those right. things. Indeed, yeah. Yeah.
5: yeah, yeah, people's lives are just full of things that uh, we right. can use to inspire.
3: Right. Who who have been your maybe top three favorite people that you've written about, if that's a fair question?
5: Well, I wrote a biography uh, also on um, Mary of Orange um, of William and Mary, yeah. and I have to admit when I uh, was at first come across her, I had not realized that she was a Christian. And that she died very young. Uh, she was just in her early 30s. But I was very surprised as I did my research to discover that even at her, uh, she was a <laughs> a shadowy figure, if I might say, because <laughs> she was dominated. Yeah. Was, was she Sorry. a librarian? No. <laughs> <laughs> she was dominated by the kings in her life. To those shadowy yes. <laughs> um, she was dominated by the kings in her life, and she also had some tragedies that she mm-hmm. had to deal with. And I was just struck with um, how how much God taught her on a personal level that I think is applicable for Mm -hmm. any woman who would read that book. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's important to help introduce children, particularly in the comfortable West. It's important to introduce them to things like tragedy and death. Whereas earlier generations had to deal with that regularly at very young ages. Oftentimes we, we have a generation that has the luxury to not think much about tragedy, death and loss. Um, Oftentimes, and biography can become a way to help children begin to grapple with those things that very often they're shielded from in our culture. Mm -hmm. That's good.
1: We do live in a culture, of course, where we're told that people read less and less. Do you have any advice on how you would encourage uh, encourage children to read?
5: Exciting stories, and that's one of the reasons I think history is great. It's just full of exciting stories. And you can sort of lure people in if you can, can, can get a good story. I mean, people certainly—they may not read as much, but they look for the excitement in a movie or TV oh, program. Draws them to Facebook. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah. oh, right. Find something exciting oh,
4: right. for their day.
1: Do you have a favorite yeah. children's author yourself? Don't you um, not necessarily make a commercial pitch for the opposition no, no. here. But uh, <laughs> uh, well,
5: someone who inspired me when I was younger is actually a Canadian author, uh, Jean Little, huh? who wrote a lo- uh, children's stories that. Um, dealt with um, children facing difficulties of various kinds and that sort of encouraged me to think about presenting real life rather than nice little stories.
2: Mm -hmm. Very good, good. I think the other thing that is that parents have a huge role to play in getting kids to read. I mean Amy mentioned reading to her son, I think that's absolutely critical. Um, Both Linda and I whenever we have an opportunity to give gifts to young people. We give them books. Yeah. Um, and I think it's part of the parental role to make sure that books are central in children's lives from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's how you do it. You do it by modeling it.
3: Right.
1: And Sandy, just uh, as we're, we're sort of moving towards a close here, but uh, is there anything that people should read by Chalmers? Or is he one of these figures who now functions more as a, an inspiration and not a, a, a resource for, for Christians today.
5: Uh.
2: He was a prolific author. I think his um, collected writings amount to something like 25 volumes um, that were published, um, some of them through, during his life, some, some afterwards. Um, I think his sermons still connect with people. Um, and um, you can find them, many of them, online, actually, um, because they're long since out of copyright. Um, so there are select selections of his sermons that I think would be important for people to look at. Um, the other thing that he did was that he wrote a series of uh, daily Bible study notes um, that are very devotional in... Um, in 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 their character and uh, i would um i'd I'd suggest people look at those
4: this has been a great conversation guys and i'm getting kind of itchy in this trekkie costume so i think i'm gonna have to say goodbye to y'all but um just want to thank everyone for listening and please visit our website at mortificationofspin.org and we'll talk to you next time Picture
1: yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope
2: eyes. Cellophane flowers
1: of yellow and green towering over your head. The girl with a smile in her eyes, and she's gone!
0: Lucy the with... Thanks for listening to Mortification of SPIN, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold to the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. We have a few copies of Sandy Finlayson's book, Thomas Chalmers, and Linda Finlayson's book, Wielding the Sword, to give away. If you're interested in these books, visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, and enter your name for an opportunity to get a free copy. While you're there, be sure to check out the Mortification of Spin blog. We look forward to being with you next week as the gang talks with a local pastor about his ministry. Sometimes we have people who are
3: quote-unquote well-known, famous on here, but we've also had guests, and hopefully, by
0: God's grace, we'll continue to have guests that are not nationally known, and that's the way it it should be. We'll see you next week. And don't forget to stop by mortificationofspin.org.
1: you yeah, take me a minute to calm down.
3: I can do my very white. Can I get enough of your love, baby? Oh, oh I don't dear. know, I don't know, I don't know why.
4: I think that uh, Todd should definitely lead the hymns of church
2: with that voice. Oh, dear. Uh, this is how it typically everybody goes. Everybody will join. I, I sort of having listened to the finished product <laughs> i feel like likely a, a fair bit of you hilarity can imagine how much work goes into <laughs> air in to, it goes to just to, oh, sen- to censor it the editing <laughs> that Aaron has to do i mean
1: so well i'm i'm ready to go whenever uh okay are you ready let's do this